Ahoy, and welcome in to another exciting episode of Not Allowed to Die, your podcast about mental health, where I, Dan Bagler, social worker and life enthusiast, answer your questions about mental health and talk about struggles that I'm seeing with my clients in my private practice, both as a school social worker and a therapist in private practice. Alongside me, as always, is Mariska, the three-toothed Patterdale Terrier. And I'm going to be honest with you, podcast listener, Mariska has not been feeling well lately. Uh, a little stomach upset and still licking her paws. We know, and again, this is not, I don't want you podcast listeners to feel guilty. There's no goal of blame here. But we do know that she licks her paws more when people do not rate and review the podcast. And um, my mother was asking me, I was telling her about Mariska's stomach upset. And she said, did she eat something different? Did she get into something that was unhealthy for her? And I told her that the only thing that Mariska had consumed was uh, the podcast numbers about how many people were following. So it turns out, it seems that, and again, there's not a direct perhaps causal relationship, but certainly a correlational relationship between the number of people who are clicking follow to get updates when the new podcasts are dropping and Mariska's stomach difficulties. So I, Mariska and I would really appreciate it if you would both rate review, but also follow the podcast. So when new podcasts come out, you can be informed. This week, I am behind schedule. I normally record the podcast on a Saturday, and I didn't because I was wanting to finish listening to a book that I've been putting off for quite some time. 13 Reasons Why is, um, it was, you know, again, this is like, what is it, three, four years ago that it was a major controversy of the show being on Netflix and people talking about the book. And when that came out, I was just not emotionally in a place where I could um, read about or watch something which could be potentially glorifying suicide. I didn't know, but I just, I'd heard a lot of the controversy. But I am a fanatic listener of audiobooks, and so it was searching for a new one, and it popped up, and I thought, I think I'm ready now. And so I listened to it. And so I hadn't finished listening to it, and I wanted to get through it before I recorded this podcast. And... I can see why people found it to be compelling. The writer, Jay Asher, is a talented writer, and it is a page-turner. It makes you wonder what's going to happen next, what's going to be the next thing to be revealed. I found my stomach hurting as I was thinking about the perspectives of the different people in the story and how they might be feeling as they were listening to these tapes from a person who had died. and them maybe feeling like they might be complicit. And I guess in some ways, that's what art is to me. Art is something that is created and just being in its presence causes us to feel something. And I think Jay Asher had some really positive goals that he set out with to make people think that we impact people in ways that we never imagine and more that we think. And that we should be considerate of and not assume that the person who is attractive or seemingly popular, that we know their life. And that there are so many reasons and so many things that impact people. But I think there are also a lot of negatives and a misportrayal of depression. So that's where I'm going to start. The thing that kept striking me is the main character, Hannah Baker, did not present like anybody I've ever worked with who was truly contemplating suicide. Most of the people I have worked, and again, I've worked with hundreds, but there are millions. So 
there I could be off. There could be people who are really absolutely feeling the way that the main character felt. But people tend not to have a lot of energy. And they tend not to be focused so much on the wrongs that others did to them as a feeling that I am flawed and the world is always going to turn out this way for me. And it is because I am bad and I am wrong that bad things are happening to me. And they don't tend to be fixated on the peripheral people in their life. And if they were going to be fixated on anybody, it would probably be the role of their family, which the book spends almost no time looking into. So that was weird. And in addition, it was very just kind of like almost the goal of leaving people feeling blamed. So, and I've heard, I since I watched it, I talked to some of my students and I asked them if they had seen the Netflix show or read the book. And most of them hadn't. Um, some had watched the show and some, a couple had done both. And they said, yeah, the book wasn't so bad, but the Netflix show, I mean, they really made it gratuitous in the, the showing of her cutting her skin and whatnot, which it does not appear in the book at all. And I think that is just kind of uncalled for. And it's making it so that people are tuning in just to see something horrible. And I, that bothers me, especially if it's not truly representing the perspectives of people who've been there. And I guess that's the other piece. Like Jay Asher said he was inspired to write it by experience of a family member. And yet he himself, I, I, I really highly doubt that he went and interviewed that family member and that he did the work. Patrick Romer, who I talk about often on here, um, was friends with a number of really creative people. And one of his very good friends has tried making multiple art pieces or like screenplays about his experience and the experience of Patrick. And he has been really careful to not try to pretend he is representing all people who went through a thing, through an experience of losing a friend to death by suicide, but um, it's genuine. And he had a small film festival where he showed some people what he had, one of the things he had created. And there was a stunned discomfort in the room, in part because most of the things he creates are really comical and humorous. And so this genuine and off-putting piece, it, again, it was art, but it wasn't consumed maybe the way he, and I think he realized he wasn't sure exactly what he wanted it to be. And I, I guess that's probably true of Jay Asher as well. I don't know that he was sure what he wanted, 13 Reasons Why, to be consumed and what he wanted the takeaway to be. So I can't recommend that you read the book, and I cannot recommend that you watch the Netflix show. I was telling a student earlier today about uh, the book Ordinary People in the movie, and that feels real and genuine. And even though it's decades and decades old now, it was actually filmed parts of it at the high school where I work, and it's representative of the community and the complicated relationships in a family. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Ordinary People, it's the story of a young man who returns to high school after having spent time in a psychiatric hospital. And at that time, in the early 1980s, if you were in the hospital, you were there for like three months, whereas now being suicidal, you would be in and out a week. But the awkwardness of interacting with peers, 
the awkwardness of dealing with your family, the awkwardness of starting a therapeutic relationship. And the therapist in that book, played by Judd Hirsch, is so great. I think Robin Williams took a lot from him when he played the therapist in Goodwill Hunting. And I love both of those therapist characters. If you want to know what I want my therapeutic style to be, you can take you know, the therapist character from Ordinary People and you can take Robin Williams's therapist character from Goodwill Hunting. And that's what I'm shooting for. A therapist who is not taking himself too seriously. Who's maybe a little bit rumpled and not too flashy, but is filled with genuine care and concern. That's, that's what I want to be putting out. I did have another a, a student who was did me the great favor this week of pointing out where I was failing her. I, as you know, by listening to this podcast, I often tell the stories of the experience of a client because I hope that it gives perspective and inspiration to the person I'm telling it to. I hope that it lets, leads them to feel like you are not alone that your experience reminds me of another experience and that person is getting through it or that person is deserving of love so maybe you are too but this girl i was talking to she's like i i've told you in the past that i don't like it when you do that when you tell me about another person's experience and obviously i'm not giving anybody's names or anything like that but she's like i i end up thinking about that person i end up leaving your office and worrying about them I end up comparing myself to their situation and thinking, well, maybe their situation was worse than mine or whatnot. And so when I come into your office, I want to just talk about me and my situation, my life, my examples. And she's like, it's kind of annoying that I've told you that before. And yet you you did it again. And I said, "I, I thank you so much for having the patience with me to tell me that again. And I wrote it. I said, I'm writing it down in big block letters in your file here. Do not share stories of other people with Gertrude, you know, because that would, that, that upsets her. And I want, I, I, I can barely read my own writing, but the act of writing down notes, if you ever want to know what's in therapist notes, I don't, I don't know what everybody else is taking down, but for me, it's actually the process of writing notes that helps me to just remember. And I almost never have to look back at them. But when, after I've written something down, it's more likely to stay in my head. So if, if a client ever asks, can I see what you wrote down there? I'm like, absolutely. Take a look. Like, can you read this? Sometimes I can. And I do sometimes if I've had clients for uh, several years, I may, especially as seniors are about to graduate from high school, I might look back to their freshman year and say, oh, you want to see what you were thinking about in March of your freshman year? And it's like, oh, St. Patrick's Day. Nervous about you know, this dance or whatnot. And so they're usually just a couple bullet points. Anyway, this idea of knowing and honoring this client's request, that even though that's out of my experience and comfort zone of not using analogies, if I, if I have a client who doesn't like analogies, I'm in some trouble. Mariska is shaking herself because she, she's a big fan of analogies as well. And so when we encounter someone, Mariska and I, who doesn't believe in analogies, doesn't like that, well, and I, I've encountered that most frequently when I'm working with um, clients with autistic spectrum perspective, and they sometimes can be very literal. And so instead of the analogy helping them to see things in a way that relates to them better, they can get caught up in the inadequacy of the analogy. So, you know, it's, it's learning to modify my practice to meet the needs of the person who's in there. 
right? So hopefully with as that, that friend comes back, and I, I'll say it to anybody else who comes in. I also had a, I have a Freud finger puppet in my office. And so sometimes if I'm explaining how, how we got Freud's legacy and history or how defense mechanisms work, I'll put my Freud finger puppet on. <laughs> I have one client who's like, please never, ever do that again. That disturbs the heck out of me. So when she would come by, I would take the Freud finger puppet away or, you know, so it's listening to these experiences and, and not not sharing the ones that I know are going to rankle or be upsetting for anybody. I did have a client who I had a, a first experience, which was so fantastic and fun. And this is so weird to say fun with regard to a trauma revelation, but this client has been trying for years to reveal more about the trauma that they survived in childhood, but it was just too painful. And we talked about different ways that people do it. And some people, I said, well, like write it down and then they'll tear it up and they'll write it down and tear it up. And then eventually they can write it down and share it as a note or whatnot. So we talked about doing it that way. And then we jokingly said, well, what if instead of you know, writing it down and just sharing it as a note, we made it a multiple choice quiz. So you never actually had to say who the person was who, you know, this trauma was created by. And she really liked that idea. So she gave me the quiz earlier this, or last week, and she was able to reveal. And after revealing the trauma, often things get worse for a while. The pain becomes more intense. It's like if we had a wound and it was infected and it had a scab on it and it was all pussy and whatnot. And if we were to try to squeeze that wound and start taking that scab off, it's going to hurt a lot more at first. And that's been her experience this last week. She's kind of freaking out. But we knew that that was going to be the case. And it will get easier and it will be healthier that now she has shared it with someone. She said, it's so hard having shared it. It's more real now. And that sucks. But again, we want to remove this from a secret to sometimes a story untold. That she does not have to disclose this to anybody else for the rest of her life if she doesn't want to. But now she has shared it and someone has looked at her and said, you are still as wonderful now as you were before you shared this. And hopefully believing that about herself, knowing that somebody else knows the story. So I, I would encourage anybody to give one more option to a person who needs to disclose a trauma of how they might want to do that. They could create a multiple choice quiz. And I, I may, I'll be sharing that practice in the future with, uh, with other people where I can tell there's something that they want to say, need to say, but they're just not ready to say it. The final concept I encountered this week, it was actually earlier today. I had a client in my office and he just so irritated with everyone he just he's like i think i just need to kick your garbage can over or whatnot and say well you're welcome to there was a little bit of you know an open yogurt i had finished that was in the garbage can i said i hope that the yogurt doesn't spray anywhere but so he ended up kicking over my garbage a couple times but he was just in a space where everything hurt everything was annoying being around people was exhausting so it seems like you have almost an emotional sunburn or any twist or any turn, if anyone were to touch, when you, I don't know if I, if I have a long history of sunburns. In fact, if I just think about going to a tropical place, I'll start to get a sunburn. And when I have a sunburn, I'm just turning my head, doing anything. It just, it feels like my skin is too tight and I'm very irritable. And that's the most common symptom of depression, irritability. And we know 
that he's trying new meds and things are challenging right now. We're at almost the end of a school year and there's stress and there's pressure about finishing off classes. So it's understandable why that irritability is there. And what do you do if everyone is annoying you? And he said, what's worse is that typically I'm most annoyed by the people I feel closest to. I kind of just want to spend time with people who don't really know me that well because they won't ask truly personal questions. I won't have to fake it with them. And unfortunately, I feel like I have to have this mask on all the time. So I want you, if you're thinking of listening to this, to understand that sometimes you may have that emotional sunburn where everything hurts. We're just twisting and turning. And the lotion to, to that is to be in a place where you don't have to have the mask, but also just waiting and knowing it, it can and will get better when we reduce the amount of stressors that are around us. Sometimes, again, it feels like we're trying just as hard, but we're falling back. And that typically means that the stress levels are increasing around us. And when we can get our stress equilibrium back, we're going to feel better. So thank you for your patience in waiting for this episode to come out. Make sure you click to follow so Mariska's tummy feels better. Yes. And make sure you are rating and reviewing if it's a five star, because if it's not a five star, we know that how that impacts the pause. Do whatever it takes to get you through this world until we speak again. Just remember, you are not allowed to die. And now for something completely different. Sometimes there are no words. Sometimes we need love, care, support, and affection. We don't have to explain anything. For young people with mental health issues like anxiety, depression, OCD, autism, therapy is often not enough. Pause for Patrick is an organization dedicated to connecting the love of animals to the people who need it the most. We facilitate that connection by assigning the seekers who contact us a wish granter who listens to their story and their needs and helps them acquire an animal or training or documentation so they can have their emotional support animal or ESA in their apartment, dorm, condo, etc. We even have trained therapy dogs and handlers who bring dogs to people who can't have their own. Patrick rarely had the words to express his feelings and his needs, but when he had the love of his dog, Cece, he had the strength to persevere. We want to provide every young person who could benefit that kind of love and support. Please check out our website at pauseforpatrick.org. Find us on Facebook and Instagram. If you have a need, reach out. If you want to help become a volunteer, fill out the form on our website. If you can donate, great, but please at least spread the word so we can replace the suffering and silence that many people do with the smiles and security that only the love of an animal can bring.